Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado runs through his top 10 games from publisher CGE, sponsored by CGE. And can I start out by saying I am and always have been a massive CGE fanboy. Oh my gosh, I have just been so impressed by the depth and breadth of games that they have been putting out for 15 years now. Back in 2006-2007, they were just this little plucky startup with Vlado Shavadol and Vladimir Sushi and a handful of people just getting together to produce some really great games, and they have grown leaps and bounds over the years. And at this point, I think they are one of the most, if not the most successful, independent board game publisher in the world today, and with good reason, because they have always been known for pushing the envelope, coming up with really incredibly smart designs, uh, really genre-defined stuff. And um, yeah, I have just been just sitting back, taking in everything they've been doing over the few, over the 15 years now, and just blown away by all of it. It was tough for me to figure out which were my top 10 most ranked, but I'm going to count them down for you now. And, and apologies, I'm leaving a lot of really phenomenal games off of this list, but it's just got to be my favorite. So, without any further ado, let's jump over to my number 10 under Falling Skies, which is phenomenal. Oh, I'm going to have to stop saying that over and over again. Uh, this is a solo-only game that uh, really kind of emulates a Space Invaders type vibe. In fact, it feels like we've had probably a bunch of Space Invaders inspired games over the last half decade or so. And I would have to say, of all of them, and there were some really good ones, Under Falling Skies is the top banana because it is so richly crunchy. It is a dice worker placement game where every round you roll dice, they indicate what uh, rooms in your underground bunker you are going to activate to try to shoot these Space Invaders out of the sky. And at the same time, you are also devoting those dice to excavating more tunnels so you can get access to better, cooler, more powerful rooms. And better, cooler, more powerful dice as the game goes on as well. But the interesting thing about this game is, after you roll your dice, you're going to put them in a room in a column. And what that means is, any aliens in that same column are going to move closer and closer to the surface, and they're going to move based on the die value you put in that column. And that creates such a wonderful puzzle. That, okay, I really want to activate this room, but if I do that, this ship is actually going to you know hit the surface, and we're going to lose a point on... You know, New York, whatever city we're trying to defend right now. And by the way, the game comes with so much variability with different cities you can set up and all that stuff. Um, so, I don't want to activate there. Oh, but if I use my three instead of my five, I can actually move that spaceship into a spot where I could shoot it out of the sky right now. And if I'm going to go for that, I want to try and get as many of them as I can into these spots. So, every worker placement action you do is really serving two things. The action I want to do, but also where do I want those alien spacecraft to move? While 
while the mothership itself gets closer and closer and closer. It's a brilliant game. And then, oh, also, the dice system works so great, too, because um, if you roll, if you have a start with three gray dice and two white dice, every time you use a white die, you have to re-roll your remaining dice. So the timing of when you use your dice is hugely important as well. A very, very cool dice mitigation system, unlike anything I've ever seen before. Really, really sharp. And the only reason this doesn't come in higher or you know lower on my list, you know, further closer to the number one spot is because it is solo only. I so wish, I so wish this game had some kind of cooperative side mode, uh, as I've often seen with so many of the other solo games. But even still, it's an absolutely phenomenal game. If you want to see more about it, uh, one of my contributors to the channel, Shay Parker, did a phenomenal run through of it. You can hit that eye in the top right corner screen to go check out the run through. Or, or I'm sorry, no, not the eye because I've got I can't put ten things in the eye. Check the show notes down below, folks. All 10 of these games will have links to the run-throughs I have done and also links to online retailers that publisher CGE really likes to work and partner with. Uh, you know, they, They've worked so hard to develop relationships with uh, retailers out there um, you know, and try to keep the overall health of the industry first and foremost instead of just trying to get as much money for themselves. And uh, when I said, hey, I'm going to be doing this, they said, well, hey, could you give shout-outs to these particular retailers because we really love partnering with them. So anyway, folks, in the show notes, links to all my run-throughs, links to some uh, retailers that uh, Check Games Edition CG themselves recommends. Anyway, we're going to start out with that, my number 10, Under Falling Skies. Then we move on to number 9, Tash Kalar. Oh my goodness. This, I know, is designer Vladishevadl's, one of his most cherished designs. I know he loves this so much because over the years, so much expansion content has come out for it. And it actually, originally, Tash Kalar was co-published with CGE and Z-Man. And as I recall, when CGE got the rights back and they did a deluxe updated version, they really completely redid the graphics and everything, uh, you, know, you could just tell how proud they were of this game. And they should be because this is a really interesting Dueling Wizards game. And I'll be honest, folks. Dueling Wizards, a la Match of the Gathering, is the last thing in the world I find myself wanting to play. But both my wife, Jen, and I loved Tashklar because it approached it in such a new, different way. The way that you summon creatures that are going to fight is by placing these little chips that um, you know belong to either you or your opponent out on the board to create different I guess you could say patterns, like kind of polyomino patterns. And when you get the right chips into the right spot, that will summon a creature that will do some kind of really big board-changing thing, moving pieces around, uh, you know, doing big swaths of destruction, all kinds of interesting stuff. And after I summon a creature, chances are, oh my gosh, the board state is so different now that you've got to start figuring out, well, all right, how am I going to uh, make a lemonade out of these lemons you just gave? Or maybe after I change the board state, I end up creating something perfect for you to be able to summon a creature that you want to do. And this is so clever. I, I know a lot of people think of this as a very abstract game, but to me, it's really richly thematic because the actual patterns we're trying to create so make sense in, if you bear in mind what the actual creature you're summoning is or what type of effect it's going to have on the board. This is, um, you know... I, I, if anybody ever sits down and wants to play chess with me, I'll say, I, I think I'm going to pass. But how about Tash Kalar? Because it's a rich and deep game. Um, with It is deceptively simple on the surface. You're just putting a couple of chips out on the board every turn, trying to make patterns so that you can summon things and do big, cool, um, you know, game-changing effects while chasing after certain objectives you're trying to do and all that. It's a brilliant game. 
every expansion that came out which added new um, decks of cards that created new types of spells and, and creatures you could summon just added more and more and more. I've always been blown away by it. And you know, the fact that this makes my top 10, in spite of the fact that the last thing Jen and I generally want to do is, you know, fisticuffs punch each other over and over again. This game, it works for us in a way that, you know, Magic the Gathering or anything else inspired by that game almost never does, which is why it comes in at number 9, Tash Kalar. Then we go on to number eight, Galaxy Trucker. Oh my goodness, what an amazing uh, real-time competitive tile land game this is. Uh, it's so amazing, in fact, that it's actually gotten a recent anniversary edition, uh, a new version that kind of streamlines some of the rules and um, you know reduces the overall footprint of the game so they could lower the cost so they could get it into more mass market stores, which is very, very cool. But honestly, I'm happy to just have my original Galaxy Trucker with all the tons of expansion content that's come out over the years. I've, I've always been very very impressed by it. What you're doing in this game is trying to build a space truck that is going to travel around the galaxy, uh, picking up resources in one planet and delivering them to another. But really, the heart of the game is a real-time game where we're going through a face-down junkyard. That's what they literally call it. The junkyard full of tiles that represent engines and blasters and shields and crew quarters. And we're just digging through this deck as fast as we can, laying tiles while trying not to make a piece of junk ship uh, because you know there's all different kinds of connectors that means certain tiles can lay next to other tiles and you're trying to ensure that you have batteries so that you will be able to fire your blasters if you come under attack from space pirates. You're trying to um, put shields up that will protect you from meteors that hit you from all four directions and you're trying to make quarters for your crew. You're trying to actually make storage for all of the cargo you're going to pick up over the course of this game and you're racing as fast as you can to do it so you're under all lot of pressure. And it works so nicely. Then there's the second half of the game. And honestly, I've always thought of the second game, half of the game really more kind of like just an extended scoring uh, period. Because after everybody has made their ships as best they can, uh, made whatever compromises, fixed whatever problems there were with it, we then set sail, and every round, new cards are going to come up that represent different planets, different opportunities, different um, you know, obstacles we have to overcome, and we all just deal with them, uh, you know, through a certain number based on you know the uh, length of the game you're going to play and all that. And whoever makes it back to their home base with the most cargo still in their ship, and believe me, by the time you make it back, your ship will have taken a beating. It might have gotten split in half by an errant meteor or a, a blast or something like that. And you have to make some interesting choices along the way. But it's all about, well, okay, how well? We both built the same ship. We're both going to come across the same, or the same type of ship. We're both going to come across the same um, obstacles as we try to complete our space truck and run. And who does it best? It's brilliant. It's funny as all get out. Probably one of, if not the funniest rule books for any big Euro game ever. Very impressive in a lot of different ways. And like I said, it's been breathed new life into it with a new uh, you know, anniversary edition that streamlines it, makes it a faster playing game and all that. Uh, but you know, whether you get the original or the new uh, Galaxy Trucker makes my number eight of the list. Okay, then we go on to number seven. Code names, and when I say uh, Check Games Edition, CGE is one of, if not the most successful independent uh, board game developers in the world. It's because of this. Code Names is such an incredibly monster hit. Uh, you know, it's been published in so many languages all around the world, and with good reason. It is such a brilliantly uh, simple core. It's really a party game, but I've never really felt that way because, um, really, at its heart, what's going on is uh, it's it's a team game. 
game, although Jen I, my wife and I have always found it plays wonderfully out of the box as a two-player cooperative game. There's one player who um, has a pattern that they uh, that represents. Well, they're on the table. There's this grid of cards. They're just a bunch of words, uh, and the, all those words represent different code names for all your agents in the field. And you have to call your agents back in. But the problem is your um, you know your communication lines have been um, compromised, and you're afraid the enemy is listening. So you can't just say, Agent Bond, Agent Mine, Agent Bear, Agent Crown, come back to headquarters. You have to come up with clues to let them know they're in danger. And now that's just the thematic traffic for what's really happening here. If you are the clue giver, you have to look at all the agents on the board that you know belong to you. And you have to come up with a single word that encompasses as many of those card concepts as you can. Um, so if you see a lot of them that have to do with um, you know boats, you might say ocean or something like that. And people say, oh, but the danger is, what if I say ocean and I say, hey, three cards um, are tied to ocean. What if my teammates who then have to figure out, well, what did he mean? Which cards are matched to ocean? Well, boat, obviously. What about ice? Uh, is ice an ocean? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's icebergs. Yeah, maybe that. But maybe I didn't mean ice. Maybe I meant something else because people have to interpret my clue. And maybe that ice card that my teammates think is the one I was trying to point them to actually belongs to the rival team. Or even worse, belongs to the assassin that can just instantly wipe you out. It's a brilliant game. It works at all player counts, other than solo. It is a great two-player cooperative game. Ultimately, there was another game called Codenames Duet. There's been so many spin-offs of this game. Codename Disney, Codename Marvel, Codename... Just Codename, Codename, Codenames. But still... The base game, the heart of it, is still so wonderful. We, My wife and I enjoy it as a two-player game. I have definitely played it in team settings, uh, you know, where the competition comes out. I have played it at high player counts, low player counts. I have never had a bad game. It's so brilliant. It deserves all the success that it has gotten over the years, and it's my number seven on the list, Codenames. Then we go on to number six, Pulsar 2849. Uh, did I mention right up front that CGE was originally founded uh, you know, with two superstar designers at the forefront? Uh, Vlada Shavadal, who is still running CGE to this day, still putting out great designs like code names, and uh, his uh, collaborator Vladimir Sushi, and several of uh, code name or I'm sorry of CGE's greatest games came from the amazing design mind of Vladimir Sushi, and uh, Pulsar 2849 is one of them. This is a 3x game where in a galaxy we are exploring, expanding, and exploiting uh, pulsars and planets and all of that through dice drafting. Now, dice drafting is one of my favorite game mechanisms of all time. Maybe even my favorite. My number one game mechanism. And this has got to be some of the best dice drafting I've ever seen. Because at the beginning of every round, you have a big old hand of dice, you roll them all, and then you um, group them into, oh, here's all my fours, here's all my twos, here's all my sixes, or whatnot. And whatever the median is of that, you mark that. And everything above the median of all the dice combined that I roll become hugely expensive and penalizing for me to take. But this is a game where the higher value die, the generally the better it is. Whereas if I go below the median, it becomes... Actually, I get bonus. I get incentives to take the lower than median dice. And this one decision um, drives so much. I want the high value dice so I can move around faster, so I can claim more territory, so I can fulfill more objectives. I mean, there's so much going on in this game. But I want those lower value dice so I can keep my initiative up, so I can keep my engineering skills up. Um, but then, that's just the 
drafting part of the game, which is already a game in and of itself. But then you've got a whole galaxy worth of planets that you're moving around following. It's really kind of funky constellation uh, design of the board that I personally really love. It's very colorful. Um, not dour like a lot of space games. It's just, it's just bright and happy and vibrant and colorful. So all that's amazing. But then the other thing that I haven't mentioned is there are few games in the industry that push the idea, uh, idea of variable setup more than Pulsar 2849. Every time you set up this game, there are so many different objectives, characters, all kinds of stuff that will create such a radically different playscape um, that really makes the game feel different. That uh, It emphasizes one objective over another, one playstyle over another, and every time you play, it's like you're going to sit down and have a completely new game to navigate because of all that variability baked in to my number six, Pulsar 2849. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Then we go on to number five, Last Will. Although if you wanted, you could pick Prodigal's Club, which is basically like a sequel to Last Will. But given my choice, I think Jen and I would always choose Last Will uh, because it's it's a bit more straightforward, streamlined. But what is it? In Last Will or Prodigal's Club, you're a uh, very rich niece or nephew, or, or your uncle or aunt has passed on and um, left a very weird proviso in their will. Whichever their nieces and nephews proves to be best at spending the money rather than hoarding it, at living life to the fullest. I guess because your dead uncle really had some regrets about not living life to the fullest. They want the, the, the lion's share of the inheritance to go to whoever can spend their money the fastest. And that's what this game is a race to do. Make dodgy um, real estate investments that will bleed you dry. Uh, every night, go out on the town and try to take companions and uh, get helpers. Surround yourself with people who are making Maybe scam artists trying to bilk you of your money. And everything you're doing is just to spend money as fast as you can. Now, strictly speaking, this is just, it, it's a thematic flourish. You could probably turn the whole game on its ear and say, oh no, you just want to um, save money as fast as you can. Or, But I mean, the, 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 the fantasy you're playing out here of just trying to um, do everything you can to unload this cash is wonderful. But then the gameplay is fantastic too. This is a worker placement game with a lot of variability in the worker placement where every round you're going to use workers that will allow you to grab different combinations of cards. And all these different cards are all the different means that you can use to spend your money as fast as possible. And ultimately, you're drafting cards, trying to put them together so that you can create the most effective money spending engine. I've played a lot of engine building games over the year, folks, and generally, engine building games are all about trying to create a combination of things that you could then run to make the most widgets. Here, it's to spend the most money possible by going on extravagant trips and all kinds of things, and we just love it. We love the presentation, the Victorian era art style, the sense of humor that is present throughout. 
Oh my goodness, uh, Last Will or its sequel, Prodigal's Club, which basically takes the core idea of what I just described for Last Will and blows it up with completely different things you can do. Now you can go into politics and run, and run, lose all your money and all kinds of other stuff. It became a bigger, more ambitious game. I And I loved it too, but really, in my heart of hearts, Last Will, with its simple, streamlined, elegant card play slash worker placement to do truly outlandish and hilarious things, puts uh, this one, another Vladimir Sushi design, in the number five slot. Okay, now let's move on to number four. Lost Ruins of Arnak, which I think is the newest big box game from uh, 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 um, uh, CGE. Uh, from a brand new, uh, uh, you know, uh, not a husband and wife. I think they're just boyfriend and girlfriend uh, design team. Min and Elwin, if I recall correctly. I don't remember. Uh, but regardless of who designed it, oh my gosh, this is an amazing game. This is a competitive Indiana Jones-esque uh, uh, deck-building game. You know, think Dominion, but with a gigantic board uh, because you fuse your deck building with worker placement. Uh, because you've got a deck full of cards that represents all kinds of resources you have available to you. Vehicles, helpers, uh, artifacts, equipment that makes you more efficient at being able to do worker placement to explore this mysterious, uh, long-lost island where the uh, you know the ancient civilization has completely disappeared. No one can claim any kind of heritage because nobody knew this place existed. And our sole goal in this game, which by the way I absolutely love, is we are not coming in here to plunder all the lost treasures. We are coming in here to study this place, to uh, do as much research as any kind of adventuring you would do, and um, capture or, or to uh, not capture to tell the forgotten stories of this forgotten civilization. And I just have to say, I absolutely love that as a conceit. Uh, this is a game where we are not fighting, we are not killing, we are educating, we are trying to bring history to life, and lost stories are retold. I just love that. It's a beautiful story this game tells. But all that aside, it does it with absolutely brilliant mechanisms. The combination of deck building and worker placement. This is not the only game that has done this recently, but it's one of the best ones. And what really pushes this game over the top, aside from its absolutely amazing production value, the pieces, the art, everything about this game is, it has just last year gotten a a new Expedition Leader expansion that truly, truly catapults this game to the stratosphere and bumped it into my top four. I wasn't quite sure originally. Uh, when, when, I, when I Actually, I've been thinking about this list for months now. And I wasn't quite sure if Arnak, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, the base game. Uh, but I wasn't sure if it was going to make my top ten specifically. But after I played the Leader's uh, expansion... Oh my gosh, the incredibly clever, uh, unique player powers everybody gets. I mean, it's not quite truly asymmetrical, but everybody does have really unique uh, abilities they can have that really shakes the game up, adds a bunch of new cards. Like any good deck builder, over time you need more and more cards to keep things fresh, and the new stuff that came in with the leader expansion, I mean, really catapulted this game from my top 150 games of all time into my top 50 games of all time. It's that good. It's one of the best CGE. Once you get the... It's, don't get me. It's great. Without the expansion, with that leader's expansion... One of the best deck builders of all time, period. And, um, oh man, so much I could go on to. So many clever ways this game works. Uh, you know, but, but I'm really, 
Probably more anything else that I really love is the story it tells. You don't fight. Uh, when you run across dangers, you use your brain to solve the problems rather than your brawn to kill the problems. I, I, everything about this is phenomenal. It's my number four CGE game. Uh, my hat's off to them. I, I've still got it after all these years. Coming out with something as amazing as my number four, Lost Ruins of Arnak. But then let's move on to number three, Zulkin the Mayan Calendar, which has always been in my wife's top 10 games of all time, and I suspect always will be. This is an older title from them. Uh, it is a worker placement game. And uh, in it, we are, if I recall correctly, Aztec tribes. Um, there's actually a, a fair bit of detail in one of the expansion that go that tries to really bring that history to life, uh, you know, and and and, and inter, you know, um, introduce you to um, all of the of the tribes of this time period and and you know their their way of life and all that but all that aside all the theme aside what is interesting about this game is it is a worker replacement game that is very concerned about the passage of time because when you place a worker on the board to either harvest crops or build monuments or invest in technology or whatever it might be you put them on a wheel on a gear and this game this board is brilliant because it's a collection of intermeshed gears at the at the beginning of every round we're going to rotate the central gear once that rotates all the other gears and what that means is if on the previous round i had put a worker on this gear and this gear and this gear. When the new round starts, my workers move on the gear. And the longer I keep those... Because when I put my workers on a gear, they don't do anything. It's later on when I pull them off the gear that they do something. And the longer they stay on the gear, the longer they go on this ride, the more time I invest in the work that they will do, the more powerful the reward we will get. And so much of this game is about trying to ensure that you can coordinate your workers that are on different gears in different places in their career moving forward through time because of the central gear rotation so that you can pull off big massive super turns because on a turn you could okay I could I could place workers or I could pull a bunch of them off and if I can set it up so that they're all in the right place at the right time so that okay you're in space three you're in space four you're in your first space perfect I pull you off to get the things that will let me do this so let me do the other thing brilliant game. A wonderful gimmick, which is in no way, shape, form, or gimmick. There is no way that um, this gameplay could be realized without the use of these wonderful wheels, which are just delightful. I mean, if you go on Board Game Geek, uh, over the years, you can see so many people have done beautiful painting jobs of their gears because they love them so much and there's so much detail. Everything about this game is phenomenal. It's one of my wife's favorites of all time. I love it too. It's gotten a lot of really great expansion content over the year. Um, it's my number three, Zulkin, the Mayan Calendar. But now let's talk about number two, Shipyard. Okay, we've got another one uh, from Vladimir Sushi. And I'm sorry I have not been uh, listing the designers. I'll put that down in the show notes too, the designers on every one of these games. Uh, because while a lot of these are Vladimir and a lot of these are um, Vlada, uh, there, there's been a lot of great designers who have worked o with CGE over the years. But Shipyard, at my number two, is such an amazing game. At its heart, it is about building um, a steam era. You know, It's the end of the sail age, the beginning of the steam age. Age, and we are working to build the best uh, st uh, steam or sail-powered ships to be able to sail around the world. But we're not here to sail around the world. We're just here to build the ships. And as we put them together, which is kind of a tile-laying uh, construction game, we also have to run them through their paces on test tracks, where they will be rated off of different metrics, which are, um, in addition to actually building the ships, the hulls, the pieces, we have to man them with crew. We have to give them all kinds of accessories 
that can help them sail better based on what the testing track that's going to be built on, which is uh, something that's happening in parallel. As I'm building the ship, I am also building the track that the ship will be tested on. And so this is maybe the heaviest game on this list I'm talking about today. There is so much going on, so much depth to this game. And what really drives it all is almost half a dozen different rondelles that you are trying to work this at the same time in synchronicity. You've got rondelles to get equipment. You've got rondelles to get accessories. You've got rondelles to um, do core actions. You've got rondelles... I mean, rondelles for days. Rondelles literally within other rondelles. And you're trying to manipulate both of them at the same time. This is a clockwork precision game where you have to balance so much stuff in your head. And it's absolutely brilliant. One of Jensen, my favorite games of all time. Uh, all the different ways that you... Every time you set up, you've got different objectives you're trying to chase after to build these ships, and it is so satisfying. Whether your goal is to make a bunch of little ships that you can just get up and running and test really quickly, or, I mean, you could spend your entire game, and this is a long game, to build just one big, super epic ship. And you score nothing until the end, and then you just run the test, and everything works, and it just everything comes together, and it's an amazing feeling. Really, an incredible design. Um, still, one of the best ever, and CGE number two, Shipyard. Oh, we got one more, folks. The uh, best game, as far as I'm concerned, from Vladisha Models, Dungeon Pets. Wow, this game is so good. And actually, it's interesting, this is a sequel to another CGA game, Dungeon Lords, which didn't quite make my top ten, but I've always been really impressed by Dungeon Lords as well. Dungeon Pets cast players in the role of imp families that are running pet shops, but not pet shops that sell goldfish or parakeets, pet shops that sell monsters. And our customers are the Dungeon Lords who are building their dungeons, often some other game. They come to us to um, because we raise pets and we, try, we take good good care of these pets. We um, raise them from little babies all the way up to um, you know getting them ready to go stand guard in a dungeon if that's what the dungeon lord wants, or just to keep the dungeon lord's company. Um, there's so many wonderful things about this game. This has got to be... <sighs> One of the most thematically grounded Euro games, heavy Euro games of all time. It's got a Vada, Vlada, or I mean, I'm sorry, a Vita Lasarda. What's all these V's? Vladimir, Vlada, Vital. Uh, I don't know what you know. The, the, you know, something about V really brings out the super heavy Euro designer in your in um in board game designers. But anyway, there's so much that goes on in this game. At its heart, it is a worker placement game, but probably I love more than anything else about this game, and there's so much I love about this game, is it is a simultaneous action selection worker placement game, where I've got all of my imps that represent my family, I've got gold, and um, in secret, behind a shield, I decide which groups of imps are going to go out shopping. Am I going to make really big groups, which means they get to go first, but they can't do as much stuff? Do I have a bunch of small uh, groups? That means I can do more things on the worker placement board, but I go later in turn order? Do I take those small groups and do I give them money so they can go faster? Or do I give them money so they can buy things that require money? The, the worker placement in this game is second to none. Some of the best you will ever see. Uh, makes it one of the best worker placement games of all time because of the way it does simultaneous action selection. But that's only half the game. Because everything you're doing is to get the food to take care of the pets. To get the pets themselves. To get the living quarters for the pets. To uh, get toys for the pets. To get special items that can keep the pets entertained. Uh, and, and to do all kinds of things. But after you've done all your worker placement and you've set up your shop to take care of the pets as well as you can, there is a mid-round phase where you have to meet the pets' needs. And this, uh, it, you have some advanced knowledge of what the pets want because... They're, the pets are represented by these awesome little dial things that have 
gorgeous, cute cartoony arts on them, but every round they rotate to indicate the pets are getting bigger and have more needs and more needs and more needs. And so they need certain types of foods. Are they carnivores? Are they herbivores? Are they omnivores? They need to be played with. They um, Sometimes they have tantrum tantrums, and you need to ensure they don't escape from their pens. But you can never be 100% certain exactly what they're going to do, because based on what their dial says, you will draw a certain number of cards every turn. And um, you have to be prepared for any eventuality. Do they want more play? Are they f- get to the sniffles, and do they need to be uh, taken care of? Because you don't want them to get really sick. Uh, and there's... There's this element to the game that makes them feel almost like living creatures that have a mind of their own. Yes, it's just random card draws with some um, luck mitigation for how you can maintain control over the decks. But taking care of these creatures, preparing for them. The thing that my wife and I have always done every time we played this game, as we reveal what did this particular pet need this round, we actually tell a story of, well, he needed to play this afternoon, so I had a couple of imps stay behind. They didn't go to town. They played with him, and he was really exhausted after that, so he needed a nap. And then when he woke up, he had a big poo! And um, you know, and so there's all these different things you have to deal with that are so sweet and charming. But don't be tricked. This is not a family game. This... This or Shipyards are the heaviest game. I still think Shipyards is a heavier game than this, but this is an incredibly heavy game too because from the get-go, you can see what the Dungeon Lords want and you are trying to raise the pets to uh, make them the most attractive Dungeon Lord. You are doing... End of game planning from turn one, from action one. It's so deep and so strategic, and yet it has all this wonderful tactical stuff too. It's absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite games of all time. It's in my wife's top five favorite games of all time. And as far as I'm concerned, it is the high watermark, the best uh, game from uh, CGE, my number one on the list. Dungeon Pets. And that's it, folks. I mean, you can see, I mean, that's only a portion of what this company has done over the year. And believe me, I know there are some folks out there in the comments right now, what about this? What about this? What about this? There are so many other great games I could talk about, but I had to talk about my favorites. And just over the years, so much variety, so many really cool game-changing ideas, uh, so many wonderful designers supported over the years, too, uh, you know, bringing so many cool new games, keeping the industry alive. And uh, yeah, I continue to uh, be a diehard CGE fanboy for the foreseeable future, because how could I not be when they produce so much amazing stuff? And that was it, folks. That was the top 10 CGE games, according to Rado. Thanks very much for watching. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye.